Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There was, at one point, a thought that a 16-team playoff field would look like it did back in 1982 when you were... Two. What? Two. Yes. Yeah. During the... Yeah, you were born in August, so you were two in 82. I was not. I was 17, which is uh, somewhat depressing, considering I'm sitting here talking to a two-year-old now, which, you know, I guess is kind of fitting based upon some of the things you say. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> What's that baby doing with his finger? Yeah. <laughs> what? Which finger is that baby What displaying? a good baby that is. Good baby. <laughs> uh, good morning. It's Thursday. It's Pro Football Talk Live. Peacock, Sirius XM 211, NBCSN for the rear at 9 Eastern, 7 o'clock UK and Ireland time for the program on Sky Sports. And whenever, wherever, however you listen to the podcast, Chris, we... We did not coordinate this today. You're in black. I'm in black. I've got my salute to service hoodie that our good friend Paul Allen, nice. play-by-play voice of the Vikings, sent to me. Why? Appreciate no, why? Paul for doing that. Because he likes me. I mean, there is Paul, at least a small minority of human beings on the planet who actually don't hate me. It, I, and I appreciate all of them very much. I'm amazed by it, too. I really am. When I meet someone that likes you, I'm amazed. But Paul, I mean, he's such a good guy, too. I'm just shocked. I, I don't understand what's wrong with him. And Paul... Florio's not a Vikings fan. Send the damn hoodie to me. He's off your bandwagon. Why are they sending you free damn clothes? I don't like it. I want. Now, wait a minute. You're off wait the bandwagon. You wouldn't, you wouldn't wear this. I would wear it. You wouldn't it. wear this. I would wear it. I would too. I would. I definitely would. I, I, I think that's cool. I'm, you know, some free NFL gear. That's legit too. I really like the look of it. I don't know that they make this in a triple XL with seven XL arms. If they do, then I'll hook you up with one. Well, no, I can guarantee they do because in the NFL, you better have some seven XL arms and some quadruple XL sweatshirts or you're not going to fit a lot of guys. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Yes. uh, and, and, And that's the thing. They do this every year, the salute to service hoodies. And some years they're awesome and some years not last year's not the green one from a couple of years ago i really like to have one of those but uh, i like this one and i appreciate paul for sending it way to go paul and uh, we 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 appreciate again it's one day after veterans day but but these feel like a constant reminder of the appreciation the nfl has for the folks who are serving and who have served in the military all right let's get to it on this thursday edition and this uh well, let's start with the Colts-Titans game. We have something else to get to this segment, but let's begin with the fact that there's a game tonight, and yeah. it's a good Thursday night game. It is. And it's a game that 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 all of a sudden is uh, significant because right. the Titans have stumbled a bit in recent weeks. The Colts are just kind of hanging in there. They've got this Jekyll and Hyde mentality this year. One week they're good, one week they're not. You think they're rounding the corner, and then they get smacked down. 
Titans and Colts playing for de facto midseason first place in the AFC South in Tennessee. They face each other twice in 17 days. I never like that. I don't like that. Space it out. It's it's Colts, Ravens, Colts for the Titans over the next three weeks. I'd rather those games, those twice-a-year games, be spread out more. What do you think about that as a preliminary observation on this game, that we're going to see this game twice in the next two and a half weeks? You know, I, I, I get it. You're right. I mean, especially when it's a, you know, a big division matchup, you'd like to see it a little bit more spread out. But the one thing I'll say just in my experience and even talking to, you know, other people that have played in the NFL, the game, when it is played that close to each other, two games and, you know, like you said, 17 days or whatever, it, it becomes more personal. That's the one thing I will say, because it's still fresh in your mind. Some of the things, maybe the trash talking, personal stuff that they might have said to you on the field, you still remember that. You could still remember the feeling of the win or the loss, you know, you know, you know, in, in particular, the, the team that loses, you still really feel that 17 days later. And so I do think it adds a little bit of a chippiness to the matchup would be my overall take there. I don't know if it's necessarily the best. Yeah, for fans and things like that. But I do think it's a little bit more personal and will add to a legitimate more hate the next time around when they play. And I think that's the thing I look at sometimes when I see those games close together. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that, and yeah. it's it's a I still would prefer I'd prefer I it to get be spread it. out. It seems like it's a dynamic that has popped up recently. I mean, teams have been doing the twice per year thing forever, as far as the NFL is concerned. At least back until the merger, that's been part of the characteristics of being in a division. You play all your division rivals twice, but I, it just seems like in recent years there've been more of these packet together two weeks apart. Uh, games. It does and, feel uh, that It way. happened several times this year. Yeah, it's happening several times this year, but it will happen starting tonight with the Colts and the Titans. And I, look, we're going to do our Mega Picks podcast later today. I think we're both going to probably pick the Titans in this one just because they've shown us more consistency this season with the Colts. Uh, what, what's been your overall assessment, though, halfway through the season of this experiment that the Indianapolis Colts have hatched with one year maybe, maybe two. Yeah. They went into it thinking one year with Phillip Rivers right. and then a quarterback they can build around come 2021. What do you think of Rivers and the Colts so far? Well, yeah, I, I think it's just been good, but nothing more than that. Just, you know, a solid good. Not great, not wow. You know, it's not bad or in the middle of the road. Hey, listen, for the most part, they've beaten the teams they should, they should beat. Um, they have a a elite unit on their football team as far as their defense is concerned. I mean, it really is. It's 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 a big time defense. It really is Super Bowl caliber that way. But as far as the offense, I think that's kind of been the letdown of the Indianapolis Colts. There's no I mean, there's no doubt about that. I don't have to think. There's no doubt. Hey, we talk about the blue wall, right? The offensive line, all those things. They haven't been as impressive. The run game hasn't really been there. You know, they've had some injuries at receiver that I think we've all maybe just swiped under the rug a little bit and haven't really maybe given it the notice it deserves. You know, no T.Y. Hilton, no Paris Campbell. Michael Pittman Jr. just got back in the lineup last week. So for me, too, the pass offense has been a hair underwhelming, let alone, you know, Rivers in, in the losses has had some bad turnovers and some bad moments. I think that's the one thing you could take away from all three losses. Last week, it was a little unlucky. The Browns and Jaguars games, he did some dumb stuff, like some Phillip Rivers, what the hell are you doing in the fourth quarter Chargers type of stuff. So I think that's really the big thing, and that's where I probably look at it, Mike, when you say two years with Phillip Rivers. I think we're in a critical part right now where they're going, okay, it's been good. Yeah, we've been a little injured, but it hasn't been like, whoa, you know, knock our socks off, and we're definitely in this for two years. I'd be shocked for that. I think he's still playing for another crack to be the quarterback of this team next year, and we're going to see how that plays out tonight and here in the rest of the year. Yeah, he has expressed interest in being with the Colts for two seasons, but a lot of it depends upon what they do the rest of the way. Do they make the playoffs? If they win the division, then maybe it becomes a no-brainer, but it's all to be determined. You mentioned T.Y. Hilton. He's due to return tonight. That'll be big. Another guy who has been kind of confusing this year for the Colts, Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. Second-round draft pick who inherited the starting job when Marlon Mack suffered a torn Achilles tendon week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
right out of the gates against the Vikings, 101 rushing yards for Jonathan Taylor in his first game as a starter, but he has tailed off since then. He had six carries for 27 yards against the Ravens, and he had the fumble that Chuck Clark scooped up and jumped over Phillip Rivers in return for a touchdown that was the turning point, really, in the loss to the Ravens last week. Frank Reich said that the team still has confidence in Jonathan Taylor. Do you? Uh, I, I do. It hasn't looked as good as what I would have expected coming out of Wisconsin. I'm still looking at a, a young runner that I think is thinking too much, just not reacting and playing football. And that can happen, you know, as a rookie. It happens a lot. That's why sometimes we see those rookies where we go, yeah, hey, it was a so-so rookie year. And all of a sudden that second year we go, whoa, this guy looks different this year. You know, and I think Jonathan, you know, Jonathan Taylor, yeah, it's not no pedal to the metal. That's what I'm missing, Mike. You know, we talk about that sometimes with running backs, guys who just hit the hole with abandon. Okay, I'm going to go a million miles per hour, and then I'll figure out where to go as I approach the hole. He's a little bit more tentative right now. And, you know, between that, yeah, fumble. You know, he has he's always had ball security issues. But I think the, the, more, the more disappointing thing, too, is this – you know, the offensive line and, and that lack of domination there, that was a unit where I looked at and went, I think that's a top unit in all of football, and it's up there close to that, but I don't know if it's like top three or four this year. Pass protection-wise, certainly. Run game, when I watch them lately, I just go, hey, it's good, but it's not as dominant as I've seen the last two years maybe out of them in that position. Jordan Wilkins has seen his workload increase in recent weeks. Taylor played 13 fewer snaps than Wilkins in the win over the Lions, and Wilkins had more touches right. than Taylor last week. Reich said there was never a discussion during the game. Let's let the other guys get in there. We have confidence in Taylor, all the confidence in the world. Of course, you kind of have to say that. You're not gonna you're not gonna say no, publicly not at this point. that you don't have confidence in the guy unless you're Bruce Arians, I guess. Yeah. But privately, Jonathan Taylor's probably getting the message that he needs to hold on to the football. It was his first fumble of the year. At least he had no fumbles through the first seven games. There may have been one against the Lions, but definitely one against the Ravens. And uh, that that's that's an issue, especially tonight when you can't afford to be giving the Titans any extra possessions. Now, the Titans, they've lost some of their luster. They, they lost two have. in a row. The loss to the Bengals was a head-scratcher. And then it looked like they were in the process of obliterating the Bears, but the Bears kind of put some things together late that that almost allowed the Bears to cover the six-point spread, Chris. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the Titans, you know, it was a good win for them last night, uh, last week. It was a struggle on offense because that Bears, you know, defense is really, really good. But, you know, as far as uh, their own defense, hey, there's still work to be done. Now, they caused some turnovers and did things like that last week and you know, started to play prevent defense. But there's a lot of questions about that Tennessee Titans defense. There really is across the board. I mean, their inability to really stop big pass plays has been an issue. You know, by any team that can really throw the football has picked them apart to a degree. And we've talked about it. You know, lack of a pass rush is a real, real big issue. It, it, it is. And that's compromised Mike Vrabel a lot to, I don't know what to do. Blitz, play coverage. How do I approach this? He's trying it all. He really is. Um, they just don't have that type of guy as far as an edge rusher that could disrupt that way. And, uh, yeah, they've been burned a lot, you know, and, and I expect that tonight to be a struggle for them to stop the Colts passing offense. I think the Colts and what they do is going to give them a tough time. You know, this Tennessee Titans defense is certainly nothing special in the pass game, that's for sure. It really is amazing to think that that they've struggled as much as they have with that pass rush. Jadavian Clowney, off the injury report, there's been talk about possibly needing surgery on the knee, uh, but, but he did fully participate in practice Tuesday and Wednesday. He's got a knee and an illness, but he's good to go for tonight. They And, and I, I agree with you that he's more than just a guy who gets sacks. He's a guy who disrupts the play, but he's not doing enough disruption this year to let his no. teammates get to the quarterback. No. Period. You're right. You know, last year we didn't care about the stats, right? When he was playing for Seattle, we kept going, doesn't matter. He's the most disruptive guy on their defense. He's the best player in their front seven. He was the best player in their defense. It didn't matter. You know, this year that is it's not the case. First off, the best player on the Tennessee Titans defense is Jeffrey Simmons, which was a great pick by Greg Robinson and Vrabel in two drafts ago. I mean, he's he is that guy. John Robinson. I mean, John Robinson. Sorry, called him Greg. Uh, but yeah, yeah. But 
Uh, he's he's the the alpha disruptor, the guy that teams have to game plan and worry about. Clowney has been very spotty. There's been some games where you go, damn, there's Jadavion Clowney. He's he's around and disrupting. But there's been a few other games where you just go, is he out here? Is he doing anything? What is he doing? And uh, I think that always goes back into the the thing we've always talked about, him, Mike. It's just the knee issue is a real issue. Not being able to practice, not always having to be, not always being able to play at 100%, playing at 85%. You just don't know what you're going to get and when you're going to get, you know, the best Jadeveon Clowney he has to offer. Three good primetime games this week. We'll talk more about Titans-Colts coming up, but you've got that game tonight. Yeah. You end the week with Vikings-Bears, a crossroads game for both teams. The Bears, if they lose, I think are done, and the Vikings need this win in order to keep making a late and unlikely season uh, playoff push. But then in between, Sunday night, the Patriots and the Ravens get together. Intriguing information yesterday shared by Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson, the 2019 NFL MVP, with Rich Eisen. Listen to what he had to say about whether and to what extent the Ravens' offense is a little too predictable. Just from the eye test, it looks like things aren't coming as easy for you this year. Is that a safe way to look at it that things are uh, I feel um you know it's it's a lot of it's a lot of with schemes you know um we're going against defenses um they call out our plays stuff like that like they know what we're doing so a lot of that you know sometimes you know stuff won't go our way if they beat us to the punch so you're you're hearing on the other side of the line of scrimmage the defense calling out your plays that's what yeah they definitely do like run stuff like that uh, watch out for this watch out for that sometimes that's what's going on so, so how do you how do you combat that Lamar. So we, I guess we're going to have time and let coach, you know, let us know what he sees upstairs mm-hmm. and we just go from there. That's troubling, isn't it? To hear that a quarterback is perceiving and realizing that defensive players know what's coming. Once you know what's coming, more than half the battle is won as a defensive player. It's that guesswork that happens before the snap that gives the offense its edge. Well, listen, there, there's, you know, there's some of that that goes on in an NFL football game. You know, I think there's a lot, there's a lot too, to talk about this, to unpack this a little bit. I mean, the first thing is this. Hey, the offense last year took the NFL by storm. It took the NFL by storm. So, you know, what do people do when that happens? They all study it. Then... Once they all study it, and especially the teams that know they got Baltimore on the schedule, they're all taking a week going, wait, this guy, how are we going to tackle this damn guy and these big linemen he's got in front of him? So everybody's doing a little due diligence anyways. Then, you know, the other aspect of this too, Mike, is, you know, teams with running quarterbacks that have any mobility are running some of the plays that Lamar Jackson and company run. So now, you know, the, the repercussions of that is their defense gets to practice against it in practice now, right? So there's all those aspects. And then, you know, added on to it, hey, let's not forget, it's still the number one run offense in football, and they do that. Uh, but I will say to his point, like because I went back and watched Patriots-Ravens from last year a little bit yesterday because that's our Sunday night game. And the Ravens' offense is not as creative as it was last year, not even in the run game. I don't know why. I don't feel like there's as many different formations and as move, the movement's not quite the same way. But nonetheless, it's still a really good run game. I mean, it really is. Now, the pass game does not help them. And because they're a run-first team and teams are always worried about that and clued into this and all those type of things, you know, and the pass game doesn't scare anybody, that – you know, emboldens those linebackers and things to call out runs and be all over that stuff even more, Mike. So, yeah, they're going to have to do some self-scouting. It's something I said on the pod the other day where they're going to have to reevaluate how they attack a little bit because I'm sure there are teams on to a little bit of their tendencies. And I, I know that, that that's just one of the many things that coaches have to worry about as they get ready for a game. They're studying the opposing defense, but The best organizations, and the Ravens are one of the best organizations. That's what makes this surprising. The best organizations will have coaches in place whose job primarily, if not exclusively, is to engage in that self-scouting, to stay a step ahead of the opposing defense and ensure that the offense doesn't have those tendencies and tells that can be picked up in film study and allow a defense 
to call out plays yeah. and say this is what's coming next. That's what's coming next. And, you know, I, I also can't help but wonder just the fact that Lamar Jackson pointed it out. And, yeah. look, it just kind of came up casually. But I can't help but wonder whether or not defenses think that that rattles him a little bit to hear that. That some of it is common to football that you're always going to have before the play – Watch that. Go yeah, here. No, right, no different exactly. than 52 is the mic, right? right. You're going to have the defense yelling to each other and trying to get guys lined up based upon what they see. To the extent that that's registering with Lamar Jackson and he mentions it spontaneously during an interview, maybe, maybe they're doing it in part because that's part of this game of getting inside of his head before the snap. Is there anything to that? I, I don't know about that. I will say to the, to the point, though, that maybe, you know, I, I, like to what you're saying where it does go on, like it goes on and you know when not that I played a ton of quarterback in the NFL but even in you know our best games you still had middle linebackers were going hey there we don't watch that guard he looks like he's gonna pull or do those things you know I think the reason he's bringing it up is because I, I he's, he's probably hearing it more this year and I think he's probably he's probably a little astounded by it at times where you know yeah there's probably some tells certain formations personnels and you know, oh, the all the tricks about what people look at as far as linemen, alignment of guards when they're pulling and doing all those things. So I bet you that's a little shocking to him. I'll say this though too, Mike, off of that. Man, I had a lot of times where I, I heard linebackers and people call plays out and I went, Man, we're gonna see how this works, right? Like I'm too late in the snap count. I'm gonna say set hut. Here we go. <laughs> too late. Guys called out the play, but then I give the ball to the running back and turn around and Damn, it's a 15-yard gain. So that doesn't always mean the play won't be successful. And then I think the other thing, too, is Baltimore's one of those teams, Mike, that I don't know if they give a damn sometimes if you know what play they're going to run. I think they just go, no, we're better, we're bigger, we're more physical, we're coached well, and so what you know what's coming? You know, I, I don't know if they're always looking for the curveball to self-scout themselves, right? If they run, like, two guards pulling to the right and he hands it off and hands it off and hands it off, what they do sometimes is just the same play, but they go, hey, let's keep him honest. Lamar, keep it out the back door. So it's the same look, but, you know, the defense can't play it the same way because, oh, wait, we got to worry about that damn quarterback who's got three rockets up his butt going around the edge. And that's a little how they do that, too. So, um, there's a lot to these subjects. I'm not concerned about it, but I have noticed that they're not maybe as uh, creative this year as last year. And you're absolutely right. Some teams are so good it doesn't matter if the defense knows yeah. what they're going to do. And also, as it relates to spotting what an offense is doing, part of it is alignment. Part of it is all it takes is one guy exactly. to be That's right. Giving that that That's message right. based on how he lines up for a pass play, how he lines up for a run play, hundred percent, and that's what and that's what offenses need to be studying in their own film. They need to be looking right. for the same things that the defense looks for. Chris Spielman was on this program early on before you joined us, and I was fascinated by his tales of what he finds in film what he looked for in film. It's anything and it's everything. And it's alignment and it's every bit of body language yeah, body by language. every player. Right. Anything and everything. Right. And you see those tendencies develop, and that's what helps you crack the code on what's coming. But as you said, sometimes it doesn't matter. Doesn't always if you matter. Crack the code. No, it doesn't. You still can't stop it. No, it, it, it doesn't always matter. But hey, I'll say. I played the Baltimore Ravens, the opening game of 2006, and I don't know, Ray Lewis was called out every other run play we played that day to speak to like a guy like Chris Spielman who could, you know, oh, this guy, he turns his butt like three degrees when he wants to pull, and I know that's when he's pulling or he cheats this foot back a little bit when he wants to pull the other way to give himself an advantage. He called some plays out that day, and I remember just going, oh, my gosh, poor Michael Pittman. I'm about to hit him the ball, and Ray Lewis is going to crush him. I don't know what else to say. But, yeah, he was all over it, and he was all over it, and I know, and I don't know exactly, but it was through the offensive lineman alignments. Yeah, we did plays that we know we liked in certain formations and personnels, and that, of course, gets them to start thinking. But he was calling out guys like, he's going to pull. He's going Like, he knew. And that was scary. Him and Zach Thomas, I'll say that. Two guys, Zach Thomas, legend down there in Miami. 
They called more damn plays out. I, I sometimes was like, does he have the damn quarterback thing in his ear too? Is he hearing Gruden call the play? I mean, they were amazing at it. And it's funny when you mentioned the Ravens, it reminds me of something I noticed years ago. Randy Moss's rookie season, the Vikings played in Baltimore, went to the game. When the play was coming to Randy Moss, he sprinted out of the huddle. When Randy Moss wasn't involved in the play, Jogging. he walked to the line yeah, of right, scrimmage. Right. And it was obvious. Mm. It was so obvious. Now with a guy like Randy Moss, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't. But the other 10 guys, the other 10 guys probably would have preferred yeah, they need the not advantage. to have the signal right. that you could focus on the other guys and not focus on Randy Moss this play. Uh, Lamar Jackson also addressed yesterday with Rich Eisen the question of people criticizing Lamar's performances in big games. Here's what Jackson had to say. So I want to give you the opportunity uh, to, to respond to the narrative of you that when it's a, a, a playoff game or a game against a, a team that is above you in the standings or is a, a, on par with you in terms of being a Super Bowl contending team that you have your troubles in that game. What do you say to that? Uh, I mean, you know, I'm I'm trying to win the game. You know, probably I say I do do a little too much. You know, trying to win the game, but no, nah, I don't think I you know perform least against big teams because last year you know we played against Patriots, we beat the Patriots, undefeated Patriots, we beat the Texans, uh, we beat the Rams, um, we beat the undefeated 49ers, stuff like that. Like these big games, you know, people was keyed in on, and I don't know where this stuff coming from. You know, playoffs. Um, I was a rookie. You know, people didn't even think we was making it to the playoffs. We ended up going. Uh, then last year, you know, um, guys were banged up. Our key guys banged up in the game, so it's it's a lot more pressure on us. So we're trying to do whatever we can, you know, take the pressure off those guys, and we just didn't pull it off. That, that's all to it, you know. Um, regroup and you know, focus on this year now. How much do you pressure? How much pressure do you put on yourself, and maybe in a self scout situation for something like that? Then Lamar. Uh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't put a lot of pressure on myself. You know, just trying to do too much. I say like sometimes just trying to probably try to force something that shouldn't do you know stuff like that they're trying to do too much sometimes you know lamar jackson usually isn't that animated you can tell it bugs him yeah people are out there saying right. he doesn't show up in big games because they, they I, I saw that i think it was max kellerman that was making the comment about lamar being zero and six in big game no no they've won big games they they just stumble in huge games it's not a big game problem it's a huge game problem it's a single elimination game problem it's a chief's problem that game back in week three sure, right you circle that as soon as the schedule came out that's the game of the year the ravens and the chiefs and they they laid an egg in that game and yeah. then the steelers ravens round one that's a huge game and even though the ravens kicked the crap out of the steelers the steelers ended up winning the game so it's not a big game issue it's a huge game issue Chris do you agree well I, I mean yes to a degree I do I mean but but not totally there I mean first off he answered it the right way you know hey his rookie year the Chargers week 16 that was a big game I mean they had a win you know they that was that was huge yeah they had that kept the Chargers from being the one seed exactly the, so, that year the Chargers would have been the one they seed. were 12 and 4 so now, okay, and we just talked about this to start the show. Then they had to play that team two weeks later. I mean, two weeks later. So that's not easy. That's not easy. That game plan was still in the Chargers' minds. And just like we said, when you play that close together, it becomes personal, right? And he's a rookie. So they weren't, like, as good on offense quite yet. Last year, I, I, I don't know how anybody could say that. I don't know how anybody could say it. I mean, how many big – was Russell Wilson up in Seattle beating their butt 30-14? to 14? Not a big game. Was 49ers 20-17 to 17 at home not a big game? I don't understand that. Now, when he's gotten into the playoffs and the one-game elimination, I think he also said that right. This is why I like this guy. It's He's right. He tries to do a little too much, just like in the Pittsburgh game. You know, I'm going to hold the ball in the red zone. It's Pittsburgh. Their pass rush. I'll make something happen. Boom, get hit, strip sack, fumble. We lose the ball. You know, those are things he'll learn to rein in in those situations. But also in those games, too, teams have been – especially like Tennessee last year, clued in on their run game. They're all over that. And then it does become about the pass game a little bit more. And where I'll continue to defend Lamar Jackson, where I'm mad I didn't even defend him more this way two, three weeks ago, is it's not always his fault in the pass game. You know, that's the other thing, too, is I just you continue to study and look at them. I go, man, he doesn't miss much. 
You know, there it's not like I'm sitting here going, "Wow, this is some awesome pass offense for the Baltimore Ravens." They need to do more. They they have issues with their offense. They're a little too predictable. And, you know, I I got some ideas for him, but yeah, it's not it's not purpose. They don't help him out in those big games either, is what I want to say. They don't exactly make the game easier. Oh, we can't run. Now we're going to go to our real average pass game and we expect you to come back with, you know, kind of average schemes to throw the ball. Oh, okay, no big deal. We didn't do that all year, but now we got to do it in the biggest game and I'm going to get blamed if it doesn't work. And that's where I kind of feel for him a little bit. They were 5-1 and one last year against teams that made the playoffs, but the problem is they are 0-2 in the postseason yeah. with Lamar Jackson as a starter. And if I pull the two threads together, maybe it's the combination of the stakes being very, very high and a team being adept at knowing what they're doing. Exactly. And That's maybe, what I think. And maybe shutting them down early. That's the key to beating the Ravens. If they get ahead of you, that's when it gets out of control. Right. If you get ahead of them, that's when you've got a chance. Now, one exception would be that Steelers game where the Ravens had a 10-point lead, but the Steelers just kept chipping and chipping and but, chipping. But, Mike, last Lamar week Jackson is the opposite that awful of what you said. Right. Last week was the right. first time he came back from 10 points in his whole career down at halftime. Right. So yeah, that's down at that's yeah. right. And maybe that may, hey, you know what? Right. May, maybe that's why may, maybe that's why he was out doing interviews yesterday. May, maybe maybe there's a lift that that gives them, a confidence that gives them that he's gotten that off of his back and now we can move forward with right and, and look John Harbaugh and I, I don't know whether John Harbaugh is doing the Lou Holtz thing or not when he tells me after the win over the Colts that the Patriots are still the Patriots and they still have Bill Belichick and I still have a young team and they need to learn how to win consistently and you know they've done a pretty good job of winning consistently as we've been discussing but you know a primetime game against a great coach regardless of how good the team around him is. It's another opportunity for Lamar Jackson to develop the confidence he needs so he doesn't freak out when yeah. January rolls around. And I'm telling you, no matter how many more games they win or lose the rest of the way, assuming they're in the playoffs, they're going to need to work on Lamar Jackson and probably plenty of other players Agreed. so they don't freak out when the season rides on the outcome of one game. Yeah, I, I think that's very real. And the, the biggest part of that, I think, is to grow their pass game. You know, that's the big thing. More creative in the dropback passes. Listen, I'm, I, I, I'm a big believer, and I think they could take it up another level in their play-action passes. They got all these good run plays. They don't do enough of, hey, this is the same exact-looking run play and now we're going to run the play-action pass off it. They don't do enough of that. To me, that's one thing they're missing out on big time. But, you know, we blame it on Lamar because, yeah, he's got Superman-ish qualities. It is not fair, though. You know, too, we haven't even hit this point. You know, who, who, who's, who's the guy to throw the ball to that you're, like, scared of on Baltimore? I mean, I know everybody wants to talk about Hollywood Brown because he was a first-round pick and he looks cool and he went to Oklahoma and played with Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield, but it's nothing special. I mean, there's nothing like I'm writing home about, like, you know, dear mother, this Hollywood Brown is amazing. Holy cow. Dearest mother. Yeah, dearest, dearest mother. mother. How, how can you forget? How, yes. I mean, so I, th there's those issues, too, and that's why they've flirted with, you know, Des Bryant being there and Antonio Brown and all those conversations to where, you know, that's an element of their team they really need to address uh, for sure, that wide receiver position, their inclusion in the offense more and being more creative passing the ball. Des Bryant was on the field for two snaps last week in his debut with the Ravens. They used that device where you can bring two guys up from the practice squad every week and then they automatically go back down. I still believe that Des Bryant was the peace offering to anyone in the locker room that wanted Antonio Brown. Mm. And I don't think it was a coincidence that Des Bryant was activated for the game that was played the same day that Antonio Brown made his debut with the Buccaneers. Brown got 39 snaps. Des got two. And maybe Des, by the time playoffs roll around, maybe he can provide something yeah, in the passing right. game. But but I got I got to see it before I'm going to believe Me it. Too. It's been too long. It's been two years since he was even in the NFL, and he ruptured an Achilles tendon during his first practice with the Saints, it's been three years since he played with uh, the Dallas Cowboys. So we, we just need to see it. I'm not doubting Dez, although I guess I am. I'm just, I'm just. Look, we we felt that way about Alden Smith after five years out. We'd feel that way about Colin Kaepernick of if he played again. Right. We got to, we got to see it before we're going to believe it. All right. 
Uh, let's take a break. When we return, we're going to take a look ahead to week 10 of the 2020 season with a round of what's more likely. We'll do that next here, right here on PS2. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. <laughs> oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Gold for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Gold for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. I seen Flo, Flo was waiting, and I had the game ball, and when I when I went up to him, it was just one of those, like, I don't know, for me, it was like, thank you for taking a shot on me. Because, um, like I said, a year ago, I mean, who who would have known? I, I could have had a season-ending uh, injury, but, you know, Miami Dolphins decided to take a chance on me, so that was awesome. What is it with these top five quarterbacks in 2020 not keeping their first game ball? Joe Burrow sticks it back in the bag. Tua Tonga-Vailoa gives it to Brian Flores. Keep the damn ball. Your grandchildren want that ball. <laughs> they got they got bigger things on their mind. They figure they're going to get balls that are a lot bigger deal than, oh, my, my first measly win in the NFL. You know, these guys, are they got high expectations. They put pressure on themselves. And, you know, with Tua – I think it's like a total, you know, it's a relief. Think about his last year of his life. I mean, you went from, oh, I'm going to be the number one pick in the draft to, damn, am I going to come out in the draft? Wait, is anybody going to take me in the first round? Wait, no, they are going to take me in the first round. Am I going to be healthy enough to play and start the year? So I'm sure he's just so relieved to be out there and happy that a team believes in him, and it's great to see. I know he's a, he's a great young man. After uh, any of the games in Tampa, John Gruden never climb up on a ladder and hand you a game ball? No, not on a ladder. He did not climb up on a ladder. You're such a jerk. He did give me some game <laughs> balls, though. I got I got one or two in my time down there, definitely. You did know? you keep your first one? Did I, you keep I, your first one? I, I did. I did. I got a few footballs. Not many in my house. I mean, there's not that many to keep, really. But, yeah, I got a few there. And, uh, you know, what was cool, too, is when you win a game ball or do something like that, then they would also, like – give you one that was decorated with the score and your stats on it and painted all that. That That's really cool. Like my little boy, Philip, he gets a big, you know, kick out of seeing that. Uh, so that is cool to have. So unlike Tua and Burrow, who know that more are coming, right. you realized I better hold on to whatever I can. I don't think I ever held – I, I don't think saying? I held on to like the first win or anything. Like I should have. I should have been like, damn, time. these are numbered. I better keep this one. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, what's more likely for Week 10 begins with the game between the Chargers and the Dolphins, and it is fascinating because the Dolphins, with the fifth pick in the draft, could have taken either guy. It's kind of like a, a mini version of Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf, just a few picks later, right? right? And the Chargers, in the Ryan Leaf position, yet again, they get the guy who was left over, they get Justin Herbert. Herbert has impressed us more, in part because he's played more this year, Tua has looked good. So what's more likely? Justin Herbert is the headline after this game or Tua is? Chris? Well, I, I think that Tua is going to get the headlines because I think they're going to most likely be the team that wins this football game. You know, I don't think it's going to be easy, but I mean, listen, we end up usually talking about the team that wins. 
I don't know if that'll necessarily be that he's more impressive. You know, like, like we've talked about, I'm intrigued to see the next step of the Tua offense. Last, you know, the first week he didn't have to do anything. Last week it was just screens and boots and, oh, one-on-one go route. Bam, that's all they did. You know, they're going to have to do something else to, to bring to the table against the Chargers. But, you know, the Chargers are not a great defense. And uh, I, I just think Miami's a better football team. But I think, like, statistically when it's all said and done, Herbert's going to be the guy that wins that. I mean, Justin Herbert is – I don't know what else to say about the guy. Him and Joe Burrow have blown me away. They they really have. Justin Herbert, I think you could sit here and argue already with, in him and Joe Burrow and go, they're top 10 quarterbacks in football maybe already in that conversation. That's how damn good they are. So, wow. Uh, yeah, they're damn good. Justin Herbert has an arm that – and the way he throws that is – it doesn't look as cool, Mike, but damn, like it's every bit as good as Rodgers and Mahomes and the great arms we have in the sport right now. He can throw more 40-yard lasers like it's nothing and throw it on the money, and uh, I'm just blown away by it every week. Yeah, and, and Justin Herbert is good enough right now yeah. to get everyone fired in L.A. I mean, that that's the problem. You're right, Mike. They aren't winning games with this awesome quarterback. Right. You have to be apoplectic if you're a member of ownership there. And also, as I've said previously, it makes the job a hell of a lot more attractive to any A-list coach out there. If you've got a guy who's been kind of on the fence and maybe he's being coy and maybe you think you could get him, but nah, you know, he every, every coach is looking for a quarterback. You've got a situation now with the Chargers. This is the kind of job. I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole because we're supposed to be doing what's more likely. This is the kind of job that could catch the interest of guys currently coaching other NFL teams, head coaches of other NFL teams, and get them wondering, is there a way I can work out a thing where I can just jump from the team I'm with to that team? Because uh, I, I can. Yeah. if I had Justin Herbert, I'm, I'm adding to my legacy in a very meaningful way over the next five or ten years. Uh, it's going to be a very sought-after job if it comes to that. You know, it really is. And, I mean, listen, if they continue to blow leads and not be able to manage the clock the right way and do those type of things, it will be a new regime in there. And, yeah, all the hot OCs or, you know, maybe you're right, maybe a head coach where it goes, oh, it's, you know, this is coming to an end here. Let me go there and start up something new, fresh, whatever. But when you have that guy and then some of the, you know, receivers in place too around him to go, whoa, I could hit the ground running there. We fixed the O-line a little bit. And the one thing I know right off the bat, because the defense has talent already, and you just go, I could, this offense, we could be special. We could be fun to watch and, you know, light up scoreboards and really attract a fan base and do all those things. And they have a chance right now. They do. I mean, he's special. They hit gold with Justin Herbert. Bills Cardinals, another great game this weekend. Josh Allen versus Kyler Murray. And by the way, going up soon at PFT, if it's not there already, Kyler Murray, halfway to becoming the first ever 4,000 yard passing, 1,000 yard rushing player in NFL history but this topic is about receivers who's more likely to have the top production in the game is it Stephon Diggs who currently leads the league with 813 yards or DeAndre Hopkins who did lead the league before Sunday but he only had 30 yards now he's at 734 who's more likely to lead that game I think I'm gonna go with Stephon Diggs here I am you know the the, the I think the thing that they'll be just be first off their offense Josh Allen, he's always looking for digs. I think the offense is more creative than Arizona that way, too, to get those guys the ball. They push the ball down the field more. And Arizona, you know, they, they'll give you those opportunities, to, you know, man-to-man -man coverage, all those type of things where, listen, I think Hopkins will have a good day, but I don't know if he'll be on the, you know, proverbial island as much with one-on-one -on -one coverage quite to the extent I think Stefan Diggs will get. And because of that, that's why I'll go with Diggs. Yeah, it wasn't until the second half that, that uh, Kyler Murray threw the ball to DeAndre Hopkins last week, which yeah, shows it, that, you know, defenses are adjusting and then the Cardinals are adjusting, right? Yeah. If you're going to throw the ball to the guy 15 times a game, at some point the defense is going to try to take him away. Yeah, well, exactly right, you know. And then the other thing, too, they got going for them. And, well, you know, they need to infuse other guys in their offense. You know, Christian Kirk, as we saw last week, he is a capable guy to make some big football plays. So, 
you know, they did a great job of featuring DeAndre Hopkins early. We've talked about this before. You know, and this is where I bl- I dropped the ball between this and the Houston Texans conversation, right, with, like, wide receiver by committee or one guy. But they did the old thing, like, we're going to feed them until people start to adjust, and then we'll be able to adjust off that and go to other guys. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, again, this offense – I don't love it. So much of it is on Kyler Murray's and, that, and, and his ability just to make it happen. And uh, I'd like to see them do a little bit more in the past game, too, to get DeAndre Hopkins more catches down the field and things like that. Huge game between NFC West teams, the Seahawks at 6-2, and two, the Rams at 5-3. First place on the line. What's more likely, Jared Goff carves up the bad Seattle pass defense or Sean McVay, the Rams head coach, tries to play through the run against Seattle, Chris. What's more likely? I'm going to go with the first one, that he carves up the bad pass, bad Seattle pass defense. Now, the, 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 the thing about this question is, even within that, they're going to do it through the run to a degree. But I think they'll come out with a pass-first mentality, you know, especially with Seattle. Seattle, like every game, it's, it's in your face. It's at the line of scrimmage. We're going to take away the run. We're going to do those things. You'd almost be stupid sometimes to come out and think you're going to run the ball in Seattle. They're not going to do that. They're not going to let you do that early on in the football game. But, you know, again, Seattle just undisciplined all over the place on defense, really have to reassess their approach. They really do. And if you're going to make me pick up one, I'm going to go. He carves it up with the bad Seattle uh, pasty. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you uh, because that pass defense is just so bad. Yeah. And you look at what. What Josh Allen did to it last week, Sean McVay has to be saying, well, I can't wait to get our offense in a position to take a crack at that defense. It's a different way. Bills did. You know, it's a different way where in that game I think about it a lot too because, yeah, I think they'll have some ways to take advantage in the past game. But, you know, when it comes to the bootleg play action pass game, that hasn't been quite as effective against Seattle as the teams that can just drop back and push it down the field. And that's where I'm like a little tentative about that matchup altogether because Goff and McVay and the Rams offense, when it comes to drop back pass game, they don't blow you away that way. They're at their best when they can run it a little and then that play action and boots come into, into play. And uh, that's where, you know, the, the Seattle stopped the 49ers from that aspect. And that's where they might be able to match up somewhat well here with the Rams in that aspect too. Bengals Steelers Bengals two five and one coming off their bye Steelers undefeated but Ben Roethlisberger a major question mark for that game what's more likely the Steelers defense sacks Joe Burrow four or more times or Burrow has a chance to win the game on his final drive this is this is this is the more classic what's more likely yeah, where there's say. a gap in between there is a gap or, or I, I also want to be like can I pick like he'll probably get sacked four plus times and maybe have a chance to still win the game at the end I mean there's a there's a real possibility of that that it's both of those. I'm going to go with here though. I'll be I'll be cool. I do think there's a chance that both of those could happen. Um but I think I'm more going to go with Burrow get sacked four plus times. I'm not saying that second part doesn't happen. I wouldn't be shocked. Um but I still think there's going to be times where he's going to hold the ball and try to make something happen and do something like that. And it'll add to the sack total. I don't think it's just going to be like, oh, he's getting crushed and blindsided all day. But I think he'll make a few plays, and that might get them to four or five-plus sacks. Bengals getting two weeks to get ready for this game influences me. And even though he's been sacked 28 times, the offensive line gave up none in the win over the Titans. Now maybe that's a Titans problem, not a Bengals benefit. The Steelers have a league-high 32 sacks, and – conversely, their last two wins have come down to a breakup in the end zone on the final play. So I agree with you. I think it could be both. Yeah. I think it could be both. And, you know, we're doing the Mega Picks podcast coming up in a couple of hours. I'm, I may be throwing the dart on the Bengals. It might be, I may be, might be time. I may be, it might be time. I get it. Might it. be time for the Steelers to take an L. It might be, especially with this Ben issue, with the two injured knees and the COVID-19 reserve list designation. All right, Bucks at Panthers, last one. What's more likely, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown is the most productive receiver trio, or Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, and Curtis Samuel take that title? Wow. Man, there is some talent. And and no Christian McCaffrey. I know. No Christian McCaffrey for the Panthers. There is some talent there. You know, I I don't know here. This one's a really close one. I I think I'm going to go with Brady and Evans. I mean, Godwin and Brown. I'm going to go with them. I don't feel comfortable about that, 
But I got to think Tampa is going to be a different football team this week, a little bit more pissed off. They definitely have a better secondary than Carolina. Carolina plays a little conservative on the back end, which scares me to go, oh, maybe they won't let up a lot of big pass plays. But I'm still going to go uh, with the Bucks guys here. Bruce Arians said this week he wants less from Antonio Brown, that 39 snaps was, was too more much. than he had intended. Right. And they want they want to get away from the three and four receiver sets because that takes the tight ends off the field. It makes it harder for the running game, right? I've, I've been saying that all week. I did, you know, right? Didn't I come in Monday morning going, where, where are the, the, all the stuff that Brady and Tampa did good? They just were like, oh, we got Antonio Brown. Screw everything we did. We're just going to go shotgun. No, don't. I thought they told us they got him for insurance, not that they needed him, right? Isn't that what they were telling us? I mean, they acted like they needed him the other day. They don't. Get in two tight end sets. Run the ball. Make Brady feel comfortable with extra protection to throw the ball down the field. And when you want to take Godwin out of the game or one of them, then you put Antonio Brown in. But that's their best, best offense to me. Yep, tug of war between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady over Antonio Brown, and we'll see how it plays out this weekend. Let's take a break. When we return... We finally have an ironclad example of the term irony. We'll explain next here. <laughs> Here's a, a tweet from Shereen Williams yesterday, and I, I think she's been hanging around me a little bit too much because she does not hold her tongue when she has an opinion to express now. The Texans have turned into one of the worst organizations in football since Bob McNair died. Amy Polchik was the best. She certainly was too good for what the Texans deserve. Amy Polchik, one of the best PR people in the NFL, was fired abruptly yesterday. Apparently, she was told she's not a cultural fit. And this really does prove the term irony because the Texans, in firing their PR person, have created a PR nightmare. Yeah. I don't think they ever expected this would explode the way it did, Chris. Well, no, but, you know, I don't know why. This is like the most respected PR woman, person in all of football. I mean, no matter who you talk to. You know, I, I don't know her. I've met her in passing and things like that. But anybody you ever talk to tells you she's as good as there is. And there's issues here. There is. I mean, hey, listen, Mike, the more and more people I talk to around the NFL that are in the know, most of them believe the cultural fit was she was a Biden and Harris supporter. And she did that on social media. And the Houston Texans organization apparently wasn't in love with that. And that's just the feeling that I've gotten from a lot of people in the know around the league, Mike. Dwayne Brown told me the story three years ago of the late Bob McNair entering the locker room and expressing dismay after Barack Obama won in 2008. And the yeah. players were like, what? What? What, what yeah. is this? Now, McNair denied it, but former tight, ends, uh, tight end Owen Daniels confirmed it. So that may have been it. More PFT Library after this. 